Well, praise God. Y'all ready to go to the Word this morning? Well, get your Bibles out. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, the scripture we're at last week. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7 says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. This is what Moses is telling the the, the young adults, basically, is who it is, because the, the, their, their parents had already died off in the wilderness, and so after 40 years, they're coming, they're at the, getting ready to go into the promised land, and so this is the young adults there that are left over, and he says, yeah, I saw your trudging, that word just hit me, and I shared this last week, trudging, and how I see so many Christians, we're just trudging through life, can I have an amen? You say, oh, not me, pastor, well, that's great, glory to God, I'm glad you're not trudging, but... There's a lot of Christians in this world trudging. You've got to understand that. You, gotta, you have to look at something. What happens to us is so many times we look at our lives and then we think everybody's just like us, right? We determine that everybody, you know, we like sweet tea, so everybody must like sweet tea, right? We're trying to eat a healthy diet and we don't do this, so we think everybody's doing it. No, but you've got to understand, you've got to, take a look at the corporate body of Christ, right? I'm looking at however many Christians are in here today and whatever's on the watching and viewing, but you know, there's a lot more Christians out there. And if you go look at them, there's a lot of people in this world that if you walk up to them and say, do you believe in God? They say, oh yeah. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. But they don't go to church. They don't pray. They don't read their Bibles. They have no relationship with God. And so basically they're just floating in a boat on the sea and whatever comes, comes. But when I get mad is when they start blaming God that he's doing it. Hello? It amazes me that a person won't go to church, has no relationship with God, but the minute something bad happens, boy, they know everything about God, and God did it. I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. You wouldn't know, you know, you wouldn't know God if he walked in the church with a red hat on, you know? You have no idea who God is. And so this is what I'm talking about. So there's a lot of Christians that are just, they're trudging through life, the cares of the world. Mark 4 tells us, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Who's going to be the next president? Oh, my gosh, is this bill going to get passed? Oh, my gosh, am I going to have my job? Oh, my gosh, what's going on? Everything costs so much I can't feed my family. Hello? These are the cares of the world. They're not cares of the world like they're bad. It's not my fault oil prices are going up and fuel's going up. Hello? It's not my fault that... that, that uh, Groceries are doubled, right? I mean, literally, I'm just the kind of hardhead that, man, I, I'm just like ready to start eating beans and tortillas if I can find them cheap enough because I'm just not going to do it, you know? <clears throat> it just makes me mad. And so what I'm saying to you is that God didn't cause us or call us to trudge through life. This is what I want you to get this morning. God called you to be victorious, God called you to be more than a conqueror, to be an overcomer in life. God called you that when everybody else is long-faced and, you know, sad and there and can't make it, that you have an answer to step up and say, come on, let's pray. Jesus will answer your prayer. And the reason why we don't see more miracles is because we're really not believers. All of us, it's truth. I'm including myself in the lot. Jesus said he went to Nazareth, couldn't do any miracles there because there wasn't, he couldn't find any faith. Didn't say that. He didn't have, you know, like the power shortage got shut off in him. 
he blew a fuse and didn't have any power to, you know, release. It was because he couldn't find any faith in town. Nobody believed. Everybody said, yeah, but. So these are the things that cause us to trudge through life. <coughs> First John 5, 4, uh, 14 that we preached last week, it says, right? This is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if we're the kind of people that can just sit at a moment and say, Father, I just thank you right now in Jesus' name. You, you hear my prayer, and I just thank you for, for, for you know, doing whatever. And then the verse says, and then we have confidence to know that if, we've, if he's heard our prayer, then he's asking, just thank you that you are my great defender. You are moving out in front of me. I can't see it. I don't know what's going on. But I just thank you. you got it under control. Well, then, I, then where's worry? Where, where does there need to be any worry? But we're Christians that pray, and then we look, and then we <laughs> go back to praying. I don't see it, God. And then we look. And the more we look and we don't see, the more worried we get. Then we become anxious. Then we become weary. Then we become stressful. And then we get in a fight with our wife, and then we go downhill from her. So I want to show you something this morning to help you. I'm going to add this to last week's message, show you something to help you here in walking in this victory, walking out your victory in life, okay? So now go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. Deuteronomy 6, 23. I was reading this the other day in my daily reading time, and uh, this is one of those scriptures I talk to you all about, just leapt off the page. page. It, just like a, it was like a wet rag. It jumped out and just went to slapping me in the face. And I said, goodness gracious, Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 23. It says, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land in which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord just, I mean, just the spirit of God on the inside of me just leapt because it says he brought them out so he could take them in. He brought them out so he could take them in. Hear me. He brought them out so he could take them in. You can't go in unless you came out. You can't go in unless you came out. And this is where the Lord started ministering to me because just think about this. This is common sense, but it's also a principle of the law of God. You, you want to go to your friend's house. You can't go into your friend's house until you came out of your house, right? I mean, you come, I'm laboring this point because I want this to sink into you that there is something in life you may have to turn loose of before you can walk into the promises. You may be saying, God, why aren't you moving? He says, well, get turned loose so I can move the boat out. And you're like, Lord, I want you to answer my prayer, but you're holding on back here in case God didn't do what you wanted to. You can leap back onto the shore. See, God wants us to turn loose. He wants us to trust in him. He wants us to look to him and and, and say, Lord, you're the author and the finisher of my faith. To turn loose so that we can go in. All right? He wants us to, listen, turn loose to bondage so that we can walk into freedom. He wants us to come out of the curse so we can go into the blessing. Right? The children of Israel had to come out of Egypt in order to go into the promised land. But see, a lot of people are praying. They're still in Egypt. What happened? Listen, what happened to the children of Israel when they first got some pressure on them? They went to crying out and said, oh, it was better in Egypt. Man, we had all kinds of good food in Egypt, and we all liked to eat while they had Egypt. So they were still hanging on to Egypt. So they couldn't go into the promised land. What are you hanging on to today that's keeping you from walking in the blessings of God? Because the problem's not on God's end. I'm going to show you here in a minute. God wants to bless you. God wants you walking in the promised land. How about this one? You can't move into your future until you've turned loose of the past. Ooh, man, listen, this is a good one. You're still mad that what happened in 1936. 
hung on to it all these years, and you wonder why the blessing isn't in your life. You've been mad at so-and-so for 20 years. God wants you to come out of that anger so that you can walk in the blessing. And if you won't turn loose of it, then God can't get you into it. And he yearns and he yearns and he yearns to get you into the promised land. But he can't get you there if you won't come out of Egypt. <clears throat> so we're always looking at God and saying, God, what's wrong? Why aren't you doing this for me? When we need to be asking the question, Lord, what do I need to turn loose of? Because I know you want to bless me. I know you want to heal me. I know you want to set me free. I know you want to give me good things. I know, God, that only good things you've got for me. So what's going on that I'm not walking in it, okay? Now, <coughs> Deuteronomy 6.24, go on down a little bit. And it says, the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is to say. I want you to understand something. The world is so, so twisted in its thinking of God, all right? They've got half, well, maybe they've got three quarters Old Testament and a quarter New Testament. They're trying to mix it all together. And, you know, one time you, God's angry. He's trying to kill you, right? Another time, you know, you know, God's, nothing's going right in your life because of you know, you're living in, in Deuteronomy under the curse of Moses' law. You're, 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 you've mixed that with your theology, right? And all your theology of God's all really messed up because you've never really entered into what Jesus did for us and understanding what Jesus did for us. Hello? And so, therefore, the world's all messed up in their thinking, their theology of God. Theology just means, you know, you're understanding, you're thinking of and, 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 and relating to God. That's what that really means in plain layman English, your theology. So it's how do you think God is? So is your theology God's after you today? He's trying to get you, trying to punish you, trying to hurt you, trying to twist your arm, really wants to take you behind the woodshed and thrash you good? Is that your theology? Or is your theology based on truth? Okay, I was watching this. I don't know how I got into this. I got to watching the Smithsonian Channel. I got to watching air disasters. Now, for a person who doesn't really like flying anyway, I shouldn't be watching these shows. <clears throat> but I got to watching air disasters, and I watched this one. And, and, and see, this is what I'm talking about. The, they um, replaced the helicopter blades on a certain helicopter with rather than being uh, a certain type of blade, they started replacing them over the years with carbon fiber blades because they thought they were stronger and they were going to be more durable and this and that and the other. But what they didn't know was in carbon fiber blades, they have a little edge on it that's got more metal in it. And so they became basically lightning conductors, Okay. So you ask me why I don't trust people. Just because some scientist somewhere came out and told me something. Hello? That's why I don't trust people. Because they didn't figure this all out, that they forgot about the lightning strikes in the North Sea. And so I'm like, that is so bad. And so what do they do? Oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Yeah. And if I'd have been in that helicopter, boy, I wouldn't have been happy. Are you hearing me? So then they, you know, they come out and they tell me to put a mask on. It's going to save my life. And I'm supposed to believe that? You follow what I'm saying? But there are people who when anything comes out in any form of society, of any agency, they immediately think it's truth. They don't question it. Now this is, don't get mad at me if y'all are highly educated in here. Um, but I saw a survey that said that people that are highly educated have multiple degrees from multiple universities, you know, or, or a university, multiple degrees in a university, that um, they tend to believe easier that, what's said of in governments and things like that, that that's what's the truth. 
But the person, and this is what the category said, who works with their hands. And I thought, why don't you just say it, you know, ditch diggers and all the rest of us out there. That works with their hands tends to be the first ones that said, said, wait a minute, is that right? I'm telling you, I remember being in the fifth grade and the teacher talking to us in a biology class about how that when you looked in your veins, I'm telling you this happened. Now, whether the teacher was an idiot or what, or it came from the textbook, when you looked in your veins and you saw how your veins looked blue, that the blood in your body was blue until it came into the oxygen and then it turned red. I was taught that. All I'm saying is truth has to come from a source higher than man. Now, there's people who will say this Bible was written by man and not inspired by man. I mean, not inspired by God. It was inspired by man. All right? There's people out there. You can go on the Internet right now. I do not care what uh, verse or, you know, ver- what, what, uh, what would you call it? What doctrine or whatever you'd have. There's somebody out there that's got it countered. What I'm saying this morning, there's somebody else out the Internet saying the opposite of what I'm saying. So even when watching the Internet and studying the Bible, you got to make sure that what you're doing and who you're following is somebody's own line, right? That he knows what he's doing. But I say the Bible is the inspired word of God, and I say that God gave us a set of instructions here that if man would follow them, it would work, and that you'd find the greatest happiness and joy and peace in your life that there ever was. And when man doesn't follow them, what results in that is heartache and consequence because you're putting yourself under the curse and you're becoming a, a victim of the enemy. It's just that simple. All right? You're not going to take it from me. But then I find that when I tell people what truth is, it makes them mad. Because we live in a world today where we want to blame everybody else. It is everybody else's fault. I'm mad because you're an ugly person and you've been ugly to me. And so therefore you've caused me to be mad. No, I'm mad because I can't deal with the situation I'm walking through in a way that I can forgive and walk in peace and joy, and the other person, yes, they may be ugly, yes, they may be wrong, but I let it affect me. But we don't want to hear that. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who believe him, he says, if you abide in my word and my, you are my disciples, indeed you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, but it's finding the truth. What is truth? Jesus said that. When Jesus said, Pilate said that to Jesus. What is truth? I mean, come on, folks. We're sitting in here today. You're in a non-denominational church, and there are people that agree with the way we worship and people that don't agree with the way we worship, okay? And they have their own doctrines and the way that things should be done and the order of service and the way things should take place and this, that, and the other. And they're welcome to their opinion, but it's the way they've interpreted truth. A lot of it, I believe, don't make any difference. You with me? If you go to Baskin-Robbins and you like to eat men ice cream, and I look at you and say, yeah, but that's your right. You go eat the men ice cream if you want to, but my whole basis is, is that we got to believe in the basis of the truth, and you can't tarry, you can't, you can't move left or right of that, all right? Okay, so the truth sets us free, but truth is challenging, and so many times we don't want to be challenged. We just want things to go like we want things to go and not have to deal with it. Being confronted with truth also means we have to change, because when you're not in the truth, you're going to change, and people don't like to change. Hello? So people get mad at me all the time because I preach the truth. And they are just got to take it out on me, but I know it's the truth that's making them mad, okay? Because they did it with Jesus. Because being confronted with truth makes us see the wrong in ourselves. It's called conviction. When the Holy Spirit taps on your shoulder and says, you need to quit doing that. Well, then you're in a bad mood because you went to church. And then they didn't sing the right songs. And when brother so-and-so greeted you, he spit on your shoulder and you didn't like it. 
No, the truth of the matter is, you went to church, you heard the truth. You went to, you went to church, you heard the truth, and it convicted you, and you didn't want to change. So therefore, you got mad. Because what? The Holy Ghost is always trying to move us out of where we are so he can take us into the place of victory. If you're not willing to come out, then you can't go in. Are you all with me? So the Holy Ghost is right now trying to work in your hearts, trying to deal with issues and things that may be going in with you right now. And as I'm just preaching and having fun up here, talking to you, you know, the Holy Spirit's pricking at you. And he's trying to say, I want you to come out. You got to turn loose of that so you can go on in over here. I got something great over here, but you can't get over there until you turn loose of that. Being confronted with the truth means you can't blame everybody else for what's wrong because it's directed towards you. My goodness, if we're not living in a time in the world where everybody wants to blame everybody else, it's all somebody else's fault. No one wants to take ownership. No one wants to take ownership for their own mistakes. Hello? So John 6, 63 says something. It's a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to, they're spirit and they're life. Jesus said the words that I say, they're not just words. They're words that contain within it life. See, we always go through and listen, John 10, 10. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to bring you life and life more abundantly. But so many people get focused on the devil coming to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil can't kill and destroy when he's faced with a river of life. The devil cannot kill and destroy in your life if you're faced with a river of life. If he's faced with a river of life. Do you realize that Romans 8 tells us that the spirit of life that raised Jesus from the dead dwells and lives in your body? If the Holy Spirit... Or the Holy Spirit was the spirit of life that raised Jesus from the dead, raised him from the dead, now lives in you. And you're telling me we can't overcome something? And the only reason why we can't overcome it is because we won't come out so we can go in. We won't turn loose of what's got us bound so we can go into what's going to bless us. When we lived, when we first you know, I've, I've told you all my testimony before, and I don't want to go into all that. But, you know, I, we came from a great life and a ranching family to going completely broke and working for $5 as a carpenter. And then I just kept wanting, I just knew God had called me into the ministry, wanted to get into the ministry. We, we were living waters. This church was just getting started at the time. And, and so we wanted to move to Utopia. There wasn't any houses for rent in Utopia, nowhere to go. And finally, there was one house that came open for rent. It was the nastiest house in town. Is where all the drug dealers lived. It was a horrible place. Uh, matter of fact, it was so bad that when I left, they tore it down. And so uh, it was just, it was just, it was horrible. It was just, it was unbelievable. And I, I, I can't explain to you how horrible this house was, okay? But I had moved my, I moved my family up here, and we moved in. We believed it was God. I kept thinking the whole time, God, why am I in this horrible house? I'm in this horrible place. I mean, I mean, we used to have cockroach traces, you know, in the place. It was so horrible. And, uh, you know, and wind just blew through that thing. But anyway, and I just pray, God, why am I in this nasty, horrible thing? I'm a servant of God. You've called me into the ministry. You're calling me to come here and work at the church. You're calling me to be at this place. I should be getting a, 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 the blessing. I should be walking in, you know, the, just the abundance, the glory, the, the everything. I should just, the, 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 this is, why am I in this horrible situation? And I'd pray and ask God, and I kept praying with it like that. All the time I'd pray, all the time I'd pray. Why, Lord, I just don't understand. And I was really, really, uh, I don't know. I was really miffed at God over this whole situation. Bring me up here and put my family in a horrible situation like this. And then one day the Lord 
just spoke to me and said, would you just be quiet for a second and here, let me talk to you. He said, this is temporary. You know, you're not going to die here. It's just temporary. I'm not forsaking you, but you're here because I want to show you some things. And that, through that experience of the time I was in that horrible place, I learned what faith was. I learned about casting out devils. I learned about the demonic realm. I had open visions. I saw things that I would have never seen had I not been in this horrible situation. Nobody suffered. My daughter got baptized in the Holy Ghost in that horrible place. Our children were blessed. They didn't know. But my point is, to see, we had to come out. I had to turn loose of the security I had in one place to come in, and it didn't look too good. But in there, I learned everything that I was going to need, or not everything, but a great foundation of the things that I would need to know for the rest of my life. But see, we want to jump up and down when the truth confronts us. We want to jump up and down and get God to do something different so we can stay in it. We're like Jonah. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. He says, okay, I'll go get a ticket. And he goes the opposite direction, right? We don't want to do what God is trying to get us to go to. We don't want to leave our country. Look at this. Let's go to Abraham. Uh, Tracy said something about this. But Abraham, uh, I mean Abraham, Genesis chapter 1. I mean Genesis chapter 12. I was going to say Abraham chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. It's a new book in the Bible. Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country. Huh? Get out. Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he wants to bring him out. Wants him to come out, right? So he can... Go in. And he says, if you do this, I will bless you. And you'll be a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And any of all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that was what he was going to get if he would turn loose. But what if he said, well, can't you give me that ministry right here? It's secure here. I like being in this country. I know this country. I know where the stores are. I know where to go shopping. I know what to do. I don't want to be inconvenienced. But God wants to bring you out because he wants to take you into something. Okay? So this is, the, this is the principle. Once you come out, the path God has for you will become evident. But until you turn loose, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. You can ask God, okay, show me. I want to see how at the end of this looks like. And you're not going to get an answer. Excuse me. If God would have showed me way back when, when I first got saved, that I was going to get to be the age I am and that I was going to pastor this church for 30 years, I wouldn't do it. I just said, I'm not going to do that. It's not what I want to do. That's no fun. I want the flaming evangelist job. I don't want to go do that. But he didn't show me the end, right? But I knew I had to come out before I could go in. And so the challenge for you is you got to ask yourself, have you turned loose of that? Are you still hanging on to the past? so that you can't get into the future. Now, this is what I want to show you something. This is really cool. Okay, go over to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and look at verse 26. 1 Samuel 17, 26. This is the story of David and Goliath. Okay, I'm not going to get into the whole story. I just want to bring out one point here. Verse 26, it said, When David spoke to the men who stood with him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine, takes away the reports approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Okay, so here's David. Let's just look at this story for a second. Here's David. He's a young boy, approximately 17 years old at this time. 
he goes up to take the food and the stuff to his brother, right? His brothers. And so he goes up there, according to what his father told him to do, he goes up to the brothers, the big brothers, the big strong brothers, the ones that Samuel wanted to anoint to be king because they were so good looking. Big, strong, right? Here comes little David up there. And he goes in there to do all this. And you know the story. He goes through. He's trying to give them the food. They say, what are you doing here? And they go through this big deal. Goliath comes out. He says what he's going to say. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, he knew God was a God of covenant. He, he knew what was going on. He spoke out. Okay. This moment cost David everything. Look, I don't even know if I want to preach this, to be honest with you. Because they want to tell you what it is, and y'all are either going to, I'm going to lose people. Y'all are going to get mad because the truth's going to hit you right square in the face. Because it, 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 in one way, it's not pretty, and in the other way, it's glorious. It's just going to depend on which way you want to look at it, okay? But here you go. David went out, and so he did all this. Is, this, this should have been the great day of victory. David kills Goliath. And then everybody hated him. Then Saul's trying to kill him. Then he's running for his life for years. He had to come out so he could go in because God saw the greatness in David. David's spoken about throughout the scriptures. He's spoken about even when the New Jerusalem comes down that he's a prince in the New Jerusalem. David is spoken about as something that's long-lasting. Jesus said that never be anybody sits on the throne except of an heir of David. Do you see what I'm saying? But he started out. And we Christians think we're going to kill Goliath and then everything's going to go our way and everybody's going to come throw the riches and the glory and we don't have to work anymore and everything's good and there's going to be no problems and nobody's going to get mad. But the truth of the matter is you have to come out and turn loose of that so you can go into what God has for you and God sees the greatness on the inside of you. God sees the, 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 the amazing person that you are, but he knows you've got to turn loose of some stuff and come out of some stuff, and he's got to shake a little bit so you can get refined into that great, great, awesome person that you are. See, I knew I was going to get an amen with it. Amen. I just want to be left alone, Pastor. I just want to go to heaven. I just want to get in the gate. I mean, I don't care about being great. I feel like that sometimes. But then I can't get away from a scripture that is also famous, Jeremiah 29, 11, When God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. This is God speaking. It says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. See, people say, they, oh, yeah, well, God's after you. No, that's what's happening. God's trying to get you. He's shaking you. He's going to tear you up. That's what he's doing. He's going to break you. Going to break your leg and bring you back and get you taught all right. And I'm like, God, how could that God be over here saying, I, I, I have thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. How can that be in there prophesied as God speaking, revealing his nature like that to you? And then on the other hand, God be over here with a big stick about trying to knock your head off. <coughs> it's because God sees who you are and he sees the potential in you. He sees the greatness in you. He put it in you in your mother's womb. 
But he knows that through this world and the, and the, the, the stress of this world and the problems of this world and the, the, the things that you've had to walk through and the unjust things that have been done to you and the unfair principles and things that have happened to you and the hurts and the pains that you've gotten, that you have got to let go of that so that you can move in to who God wants you to be. Because through your great loss, then you have great wisdom to speak to somebody else. But the devil wants to keep us trapped up and hanging on to the, to the rail of the, you know, like the ship's trying to sail, but we're hanging on to the railing. Don't want to turn loose. Psalms 139, 17 and 18 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. You're telling me that God has more precious thoughts to you than the sand of the sea? How about one hand of sand? One bucket, one scoop. Five-gallon bucket. How many grains of sand he thinks in there? Whole bunch. You see, God's always thinking and looking at you. You like, like you ever been around somebody that's in a bad mood? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, I know you good godly people have never been in a bad mood, but if you ever been around somebody that's been in a bad mood, your your inclination is to go somewhere else. Am I right? Come on, I'm preaching good here. Your inclination is just, let's just, I'm just gonna go to town. Okay? Okay, but God never thinks that way about you, even when you're being a fool. Even when you're whining and crying and accusing him of not doing everything right, when you're sitting there pointing the finger at him and woe is this and how did they do that and why did this happen and yeah, da, da, da. God's thoughts towards you are still love, are still peace, are still joy, is still mercy, is still grace. And you think about that, that's why he's God and you're not. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. I mean, he is awesome. He's awesome. That's how he's always thinking about you. And so the challenge today is, are you going to turn loose and come out so you can go in so this loving God can then take you to the place of greatness that he has for you? Now, I got a story, and I've told this story before, but bears telling it again. In 1932, this is a true story. I didn't make this up. True story. In 1932, there was an airship. You know, one of these great big dirigibles. Dirigibles. It was called the USS Akron. It was 787 feet long. It was 152 feet high. It was the largest airship that had ever been built except the Hindenburg. And the military built it. It had guns on it. It had an airplane underneath it, you know, that where they could drop them and they'd go off, and, and, and it was huge. And so they built this thing up in New Jersey, and they were going to fly it from New Jersey to San Diego. Well, when it came across Texas, it hit Texas weather storm, and it messed the thing up, but it still was able to fly, and so they flew on out to San Diego. <clears throat> okay, so when they got ready to dock the, the airship, the blimp, thank you, they got ready to dock the blimp, and it was coming down at 400 feet. They had these giant ropes that they threw off because they, there was anchor points down on the ground that they were, the servicemen, they were Navy sailors, were supposed to grab the ropes and then take them and tie them to the mooring points on the, for the ship. Well, so they threw off the ropes and everybody grabbed hold of them. The sailors did. And it's coming down, you know, and they're getting slack and they're getting ready to take them about when a windstorm hit and the the thing had gotten kind of unstable, and 
it shifted. And when it shifted, because it had water ballast up there, water came flying out of this thing, and the ship went instantly very light, and it just, whoo, just jerked up. Well, so, you know, I mean, you know how it is. How many times have y'all have ever been rope burned, right? You hang on to the rope a little too long. You should have turned loose. But some of these sailors, they were like down to getting it, trying to get that thing in there. And when it went up, they were holding on to it real tight. I mean, it just sucked them up. And some of them, like at 15 feet, turned loose. But others panicked and held on to the rope. Now, these are big rope, right? And so they went up, and it was in horror as everybody was there watching this thing. And this thing shot back up to like 1,200 foot. And there's men hanging on to the ropes. And one by one, they begin to fall off, fall to their death. And so one guy is held on, and everybody kept expecting any second he's going to turn loose. He just must have the grip of, you know, Goliath up there, and he's just hanging on. And so he just kept holding on and kept holding on. And so the, they tried to get from the top of the blimp down around and grab hold of the rope and tried to pull him up, and he just kept hollering. And every time they would holler, at, they would holler down at him. <laughs> this is what it says. This is the story says that he'd holler back up, when are you going to set this thing down? Yeah, true story. So eventually they get it back under control. They start coming down and they get it down to the ground and he held on the whole time. So everybody just ran up there to, to see why this guy had been able to do what he did. It was two hours dangling on a rope. So he got up there and they said, what did you do? How did you do this? And he said, well, I knew I wasn't going to be able to hold on long. And so I took the rope, and I worked it around me, and I tied myself to the rope. So I wasn't holding on to the rope. The rope was holding on to me. Point being, you can live your life trying to hold on to Jesus' coattail. And somewhere along the line, you're going to slip and fall, and it ain't going to work. But if you let God wrap his arms around you and tie you up in him, and you're just hanging on, he's hanging on to you, and you're just saying, God, I trust you, that your thoughts towards me are great and precious thoughts. You love me. Lord, you're for me. You're not against me. I'm just being held in your love. I'm just, I'm just letting your love wrap me and hold me. I'm believing your word's true. Folks, listen to me. I don't care what yahoo's out there. The Bible's true. Just accept it. All right? Just accept it. All the things going on in the world, look, let's go back to your Bible and read the Bible. Quit watching the bad news and just read the good news. Right? And let God hold you. Let him take his arms of love and wrap around you and hold you. And trust him that what you're coming out of, that it's not going to be like what you're going into, because what you're going into is going to be a whole lot better. Amen? Amen. We'll put your Bibles up. Stand to your feet and let me have my prayer team come down, please. Now, church, listen to me. I, I, I don't, I'm the preacher. I don't have the heart meter. I, I can't look into your hearts. I can only preach the word. The more you smile at me, the more I think you like me is about all I can get. If you don't smile at me and you're just sitting there frowning at me, well, then I think you don't really like what you're hearing. So, that's about the only judge I have. I do not have the ability to look into a person's heart to know if they're saved or not or what's going on in their life, okay? Of course, unless the Holy Ghost gives me a word, then I would, but I don't on a normal basis. So I don't know what you may need to turn loose of. 
what hurt or what pain or what disappointment you may need to turn loose of in life so that you can come out and then start to move to go into God's love? I don't know. But if that you do know, but all I can do is pray. So if that's speaking to you this morning and you know the Holy Ghost is pricking you and you know there's something you need to turn loose of, well, then in this prayer, you need to do that. You understand? You need to do that. You need to say, Lord, I give it to you. And I believe by the anointing on the word and the prayer that God will set you free from it and you can move on out. Amen? So I'm going to pray right now. Those of you watching, listening, you grab hold of this too. Father, right now, I pray for everyone in this room, everyone listening, everyone watching, everyone out there hearing the sound of my voice. Lord, I know by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're calling us to come out so we can go in. You're calling us to come out of unforgiveness, of bondages, disappointments. Lord, times when we feel like you've let us down, we don't understand it. But you're calling us to come out of that so that we can go into love and grace and mercy in your loving arms wrapped around us. So right now, Father, we give it to you in Jesus' name. We just give you those issues that we need to come out from. And I thank you that you see every person's heart. You hear their cry today. And Lord, I believe you for miracles, that a miracle is happening in their life. Because I know that what they're going to go into is greater than what they're coming out of. So I pray, Lord God, that a miracle takes place. That they begin to move forward and see the path that you have for them. That your loving arms just wrap them up and hold them, Lord God, and keep them from falling. Lord, I ask you to move in such a way and make your path so clear to them. I know we won't be able to see the end, but at least we'll see where we need to start. So, Lord, bless them. Pour yourself out upon them. Touch them, Lord God, and set them free. Lord, and I declare that then we're going to go out to this world, and we're going to be people who have victory in our voices, we lead people into righteousness. We, 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 we become blessings everywhere we go. Because, Lord, we've come out of the old and we've gone into the new. So bless them, Lord. Put your hand upon them. And let us be lights in this world as we go forth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We're up here to pray with you. If you need anything, we're here.